Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders for the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I'm pretty certain that most of us who are listening this morning or today know what theology is. But I found myself drawn to one aspect of it this past week, and I thought that you might find it helpful, uplifting, and encouraging. First of all, theology is the field of study and analysis that treats of God and of God's attributes and relations to the universe, study of divine things or religious truth, divinity. That is according to Webster's New Universal Unabridged Dictionary. But what took my mind in that direction this past week was one of the two primary questions that theologians have tried to deal with for the past 2,000 years and have never really arrived at an answer that has been universally accepted. Where this question comes from is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. That passage says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The big question has been, How is man made in the image of God? Or in what way is man made in the image of God? My friends, I am not a theologian. In fact, in many ways, I think theologians have allowed their great minds to run wild and have ended up far from some of the simple truths revealed in the scriptures. Nevertheless, man is absolutely unique in all of creation, and there are qualitative differences that set us apart from the animals that certainly enter into how we are made in God's image. I hope that this will prove to be as interesting and helpful to you as it has been to me. If you are looking for all the answers to that huge question, I don't have them. But I am in possession of some wonderful truths. For instance, only man has dominion or rule over all the earth and all the animals in the animal kingdom. We saw that in verse 28. And essentially the same thing was repeated to Noah and his sons when they left the ark. Consider Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every kind of bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, 
into your hand they are given. When God created man, he gave him rule over the animals, but only as a steward under God with a sacred trust. When you think about it, man lives between two worlds, if I might put it that way, the physical and the spiritual. Like the animals, we have a physical body that is made of dust and must be sustained. We too require air, water, and food. But we are the only creatures who can, in a sense, hear the voice of God through nature and through his word. We have the capacity of thinking God's thoughts as he chooses to reveal them to us. Consider Psalm 8 verses 3 through 9 to see what I mean. David wrote, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him? and the Son of Man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. I believe that our dominion over the animals is spiritual rather than physical. It has to do with quality, not quantity, and let me tell you what I mean. We do not have a larger brain than a blue whale. We are not as strong as a lion or a gorilla, and we can't run as fast as a cheetah. Our eyesight, even at its best, does not begin to compare with that of an eagle. So clearly man's superiority over the animals is not the physical area of something that can be quantified. Instead, it has to be some spiritual quality that God has built into each person. One person writing about evidence that God created man in his own image said that only man can transcend himself. In other words, animals can think, but man can rise above himself and think about thinking. We can ask great questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And on and on and on. Only man has an identity crisis and tries to discover our roots and purpose in life. Once again, I think of the question raised in Psalm 144, verse 3. O Lord, what is man that thou dost take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou dost think of him? Animals do not wrestle with these issues. They exist from day to day. Think about this. Only man has the capacity to learn from experience, accumulate knowledge, and pass it on to succeeding generations. Man is the only creature to whom the past, and by that I mean history, is important. We accumulate knowledge and pass it on so that the generations that follow are more knowledgeable than the previous ones. We preserve knowledge in both oral and written form so that our children and grandchildren do not have to discover already known things anew. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12 and look at verses 21 through 27. It tells us, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel 
and the two doorposts, and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And it will come about when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he promised, that you shall observe this right. And it will come about when your children will say to you, What does this right mean to you? That you shall say, It is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Only man can do that. Only man can understand the significance of the past and learn from it. Just think of Stephen calling on the Jewish leaders to learn from the history of their nation and not to make the same sinful mistakes that they had made in consistently putting to death those whom God had sent to them. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Peter wrote, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoke by your apostles. Brethren and friends, only man can do that. Yet another evidence of man being created in the image of God is that only man is restless with the physical things of life. By way of explanation, I say that because we know innately that there is more. There is something else. There is just a little statement made in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 that is so often overlooked in the context of that chapter. Even the band the birds made a song out of the time for every purpose under heaven. But look with me at verse 11. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning to the end. We know that there is something more, and that knowledge drives us. Just think about man in general. We are never satisfied with the material goods we have. Animals, on the other hand, are happy with the necessities of life. Man has a spirit about him that makes us want to find out what lies beyond the next river, mountain range, or ocean, but it does not stop there. We want to know what is on the moon, on other planets, and in distant galaxies. Animals do not care about such things. They have no ability to conceptualize other continents, countries, or worlds. Without realizing it, man, in his quest for completion and perfection, is testifying to being made in God's image. Man was not ultimately made for time and for the finite. Rather, we were made for eternity, one way or the other, and for that which is infinite. I began by talking a little bit about theology, so I'm going to go ahead and briefly quote one of the most well-known theologians of all time, Augustine. He wrote in his Confessions, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Now, Augustine was wrong about a lot, but he was right about that. Still more, only man is a moral being with a sense of what is right and wrong. Consider Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. 
Paul wrote, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Where does that come from? How do we explain the conduct of the Jews who had brought the woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus? Consider John 8, verses 7 through 9. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman was where she was in the midst. That was conscience, and only man has it. Animals act out of instinct. When a cat is born, we know what it will be and do. It will be a cat, and it will do what is natural to cats. I don't know if you like Shakespeare or not, but a question that Hamlin asked himself is appropriate only for man. He asked to be or not to be. That is the question. Only man has the ability to choose what direction his or her life will take, what kind of life he or she wants to live. We can choose to be noble, loving, and righteous, or we can choose to be dishonest, selfish, and evil. Those kinds of choices are not options for animals because they are not moral beings. There are two more evidences that I'm going to mention, one because it is essential and the other just because I want to. I'll go with the one I want to first. Only man has the aesthetic nature that causes us to produce art, painting, poetry, sculpture, and so on. Humans are the only creatures that work for weeks, months, or years on something that has no value for survival. By the way, that creativity seems to me to prove that evolution is wrong. Evolution teaches that man, over a period of millions of years, develops skills that would help him survive, remember the survival of the fittest, and dropped characteristics that did not contribute to his survival. This obviously has not happened to man. Indeed, instead of dropping off, our aesthetic tendencies have grown. No animal cares about aesthetics because they do not contribute to their survival. A bird might pick up a pretty piece of thread, but only because it's useful in making its nest. A beaver instinctively builds a dam that is strong and functional. God, who created a beautiful world with all of its symmetry and design, also created man and instilled in him the desire to surround himself with beauty and symmetry, with colors and forms and shapes and arrangements that are pleasing. Unfortunately, in this blessing, and it is a blessing, is also a danger, that being that man will seek happiness and fulfillment in beauty and such instead of in God. Inevitably, the person who falls into that trap will only ultimately find frustration and futility, not the happiness and fulfillment that they sought. That is exactly what Solomon discovered in his search for happiness, contentment, and fulfillment detailed in the book of Ecclesiastes. Finally, only man has a concept of a future life beyond the grave. Remember that God put eternity into man's heart, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. Animals face death and, to some extent, seem to fear and maybe even grieve over it.
but they do not prepare for it. Something in man suggests the sacredness of death. He sees it as special, but not as the end. Just think of verses 4 through 6 of the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It has always been so. In ancient societies, people buried their dead with precious objects that they believed would be of some use or value in the next world. My friends, we are unique, made in the image of God. With that uniqueness comes responsibility, the responsibility to serve, obey, and praise our Creator. I hope this has been beneficial to you. It certainly has been for me. Thanks for listening.